Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. You know, you, you likely remember the scene from The Wizard of Oz when Dorothy and her friends, they first, in, or they encounter the wizard. There was fire and smoke and that big holographic green head. As the great and powerful wizard tells his guests to come back the next day, uh, of course, they are devastated by the news. However, when that happens, Toto, Dorothy's little, little terrier, snuck off while the wizard was making his proclamations, his ominous demands, and he found himself behind a shiny green curtain. As he pulled back the curtain, Toto revealed an old man in a three-piece suit, pulling switches and speaking into a microphone, declaring, ignore the man behind the curtain. Well, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, then it's like almost a hundred years old movie. But anyway, spoiler alert, the, the, the wizard was just a front. There was, there was something going on behind the scenes of, of all the smoke and, and all the fire and the big holographic green head. This morning I want us to, to go behind the scenes. The, the last few weeks we've been dealing with the physical realities of Jesus' ministry. His arrival on the scene the, at the fullness of time, his, his cruel crucifixion, his powerful resurrection. All of these were realities that were, were seen they were experienced by, by real people who, who shared their stories. We have their testimony recorded for us in the Scriptures. But we need to keep in mind that behind the, the physical reality, behind all the things that can be touched and tasted and seen and, and smelled, behind all of those, those physical things, there was a, a spiritual reality working as well. Unlike the Wizard of Oz, however, none of this was a fraud or a front. It's as real as you and me. In the spiritual reality, there were monumental things taking place. At Jesus' death and resurrection, Satan was tasting defeat. Death was being conquered and overcome. But in the legal sense, there was a sentencing and a conviction that was taking place. And what is communicated to us from a legal standpoint, Jesus was convicted for crimes that he didn't commit. He served as the one who received punishment that was actually due to sinners like you and like me. And because he stood in our place as an appropriate sacrifice, as an appropriate substitute, those who were in Christ are what the Bible declares to be 
justified. It's a legal decree justification is. You can't touch justification. You can't put it in a box. It is a status. Justification is a status that is granted to all who receive Jesus' offer of standing in their place as their substitute. Justification is the status of being in a right and correct standing with God. This morning, as we continue our journey through the Scriptures, we pause in Romans chapter 3 for a few moments. In verse 21, Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 26. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century, said that these are the greatest verses in the entire Bible when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, when Jones edited his famous sermon series through the book of Romans, he, he actually began putting his messages into print, not with chapter 1, verse 1, but with these very verses. He believed that this paragraph is the most important to the message of the entire book of Romans. In Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21, we read these words. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Father, I thank you for such profound words that certainly require more attention than we can give in the time we have allot allotted today. Father, we pray that as we consider the idea of being justified, of justification, that we will recognize the importance of this, of this idea, of this doctrine, that we will recognize that that our faith hinges really upon this idea today. Lord, I pray that if there's any listening today that are under the sound of my voice, that they will recognize their need to be justified and they will understand that it comes only through Jesus. Lord, we love you and we're thankful for this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we consider what is truly a pivotal text, I want us to recognize why this passage is so important. As I just said in this prayer, we can't give this passage the, the, the thorough treatment that it needs today, so we will be certainly just skimming the subject of a topic that has, that has been part of Christian conversation for, for two millennia. But before we really get into the meat of it, I want to point out something briefly from verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. That's, a, that's an important verse. Again, we, we might skip over that as we get into the meat. I mean, Romans 3.23, for crying out loud, part of the Romans road. We want to camp out there. But, but verse 21 is important for our consideration as well. And the reason is this. I am a firm, firm believer 
that the entire Bible, all 66 books, both older and newer testaments, are the inspired, inerrant word of God. We are living in a day, sadly, where some preachers with very large followings have done a lot to undercut the veracity of the Older Testament. But we find here that the Apostle Paul celebrates and embraces that Older Testament. In the context of the Old Testament, it's what points us in the direction of justification. Isaiah 53, we've talked about that chapter in many weeks. It stands as one of the biggest signposts of them all. By his wounds, we are healed. The prophet points to the doctrine of justification. It prepares the way for Jesus. It points ahead to Jesus. It paves the way for Jesus to come. Come along and finish the task. So if you're tempted to toss out Genesis to Malachi, or if you're tempted to believe that it's just unimportant background information, I would encourage you to reconsider, particularly since both Jesus and the Apostle Paul celebrate the Older Testament. And I'll be honest, I would much rather stand with those two people than stand with some of the preachers today who are encouraging a Christian faith devoid of the Older Testament. Paul here makes it very clear that the law and the prophets bear witness to this truth. So as we continue, though, talking about this idea of justification, we need to understand some things. First and foremost is this. We cannot be justified by our good behavior. We cannot be justified by our good behavior. Look back at verses 21 through 23. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you go back and read the first two chapters and the first part of chapter 3 in the book of Romans, you will recognize that the Apostle Paul spends a remarkable amount of time explaining our predicament and detailing our condemnation. If you want to feel good about yourself, don't go read the first three chapters of the book of Romans because it is not going to make you feel good about yourself. The first three chapters of the book of Romans, before we get to this idea of justification, is bad news for each and every single one of us. In fact, he makes the point for us very clear back in verse 20, right before we started reading today. He says here, for by works of the law, no human being, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. None of us, not one of us, can be justified by works of the law. Let that sink in for just a moment. By works of the law, no human being will be justified. We aren't justified by our ability to keep the Ten Commandments. Let's be honest. If we, if we just evaluate our lives honestly, we'll recognize that none of us have kept the Ten Commandments, at least all of them. We, we know, especially when we take Jesus' interpretation of the Ten Commandments and, and Jesus teaching us that our breaking of the commandments actually begins before we ever engage in the physical act. Our breaking of the commandments begins in our heart, in our mind, in our motives. Before we ever act, we're all commandment breakers to some extent. When we consider the law, the one thing that should be very clear is the revelation of how inadequate we are to meet the standard that God has set. We do not have the means 
to attain moral perfection by our own merit. We stand as sinners by nature and by choice. We do not have the ability to attain that perfect standard. John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 goes so far as to say, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Which means that we are liars. Which means that it's impossible for us to meet God's standard. Well, what exactly is that standard? Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. God's perfect glory is our perfect standard. We've got some serious problems in our world today. We've, we've, in, we've encountered, some of these things are things that we've created. Perhaps most of them are. I'll give you an example. My, my sophomore year when I was at UT Chattanooga, I took an introductory class in statistics. I am not a math scholar. In fact, before the Lord called me to preach, I was struggling in trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. So this, that sounds terrible. Like this is the, this is the next best thing I could come, come up with. No, I was, I was struggling in the Lord because the Lord was showing me where I needed to go. So back to where I was, I'm not a math scholar and I didn't enjoy calculus or algebra or any, any of those things. I'm of the firm opinion that letters and numbers don't go together. If you start mixing English and math, it creates problems in my book. And so statistics, though, didn't have nearly as much of that as some of the other classes. And so I kind of sort of enjoyed it. It was challenging, but the, challenging, the challenge wasn't unmanageable. When we got to the final exam, the professor told us that the final was only going to cover the material since the last exam. So instead of a big final comprehensive, it was just going to be a, a, a little, a, 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 a final that just covered a few, a few chapters of content. And that's how we all prepared. We studied. We wanted to do well in the final. However, when we showed up in class for the final, we were all shocked to find that it was a cumulative exam. And none of us had prepared for a cumulative exam. None of us had prepared to take a test that covered content from the whole semester. And so literally everyone in the class bombed the final, which was sort of scary because it was a significant percentage of our final average. Yet somehow everyone in the class left with a grade that was much higher than our final exams would have indicated. It turns out that our professor recognized that he told us one thing, tested us on another, and so he did what is the saving grace of college students the world over. He graded on the curve. You love when somebody grades on the curve and left, unless you've got a curve breaker out there that scored perfect on the exam and blew it for everybody else. But we were evaluated on that final on the basis of how everyone else performed, and that worked out in our favor. In this strange time in which we live, people judge their own morality on a curve. I'm not perfect, but I'm much better than so-and-so. I'm no Adolf Hitler. I'm no, I'm no, you know, name your serial killer. I'm doing better than, than these folks are doing. And as long as I'm doing better than my peer, then the curve is going to help me out. It's like the old joke about the two guys who went camping when a bear started trying to get in their tent. One of the campers immediately starts lacing up his boots, and, 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 and the other friend says, what are you doing? We need to go. He says, well, I, I want to be able to, to make sure I can run. And the guy says, well, you're, there's no way you're going to be able to outrun a bear. He says, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. We're like that when it comes to judging our 
morality. As long as I'm better than you, as long as I'm better than this person, as long as I don't make the mistakes that guy made. Here's the thing, God doesn't judge on the curve. There's a perfect standard, and we all miss it. Our works won't fix it. Our goodness isn't good enough. And Paul says in verse 22, there's no distinction. We're all in the same boat, under the same curse, deserving the same punishment. And I recognize, I fully understand that the world today doesn't like this. It is so judgmental. It is so intolerant. It is so unkind. But here is the thing. It is universal. It is true for the entire human race, regardless of age, ability, or status. There is no distinction. And listen, if it stopped right here, this would be terrible news. But it doesn't end right here. Because our justification is a gift from God. Think about the best gifts you've ever been given. What makes certain gifts stand out? They didn't have strings attached. They were just what you needed when you needed it. Well, gifts aren't deserved either. And the gift that God has, has made available to us, it passes this test. Look at verse 24. For all, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Let's be clear. If you, if you go back and, and read through the first couple of chapters of Romans, you recognize how serious our situation is. Yet in the midst of this terrible predicament that we find ourselves in, we have this incredible offer that's been made to us. We all stand guilty as charged, rightly condemned under our sin, but there is an offer on the table for a holy God to fix it. We are on death row waiting our execution. However, we just got word, not that a stay order has been issued, but that our case has been dismissed and all charges against us have dropped. Not just that, the judge says you can't be convicted of the crimes ever again you ask your attorney what 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 caused this and the only answer is this someone took your charges someone took your punishment and not only did they take your charges and take your punishment they gave you their innocence why? That's what grace is. Grace is when we receive a gift that we don't deserve. And that's exactly what's happening behind the scenes. Yes, we see the crucifixion. Yes, we see the resurrection. Yes, we see those things. Those are real. Those are things that we can touch, things that people have reported on. But behind the scenes of all these things, you have these incredible legal changes taking place. Jesus died on the cross as an innocent substitute. His sacrifices paid the penalty for our sins. But not only that, because of Jesus' perfect righteousness, those who were in Christ, we are declared righteous. Not any righteousness that comes from us, 
Instead, we're granted the righteousness of Jesus. So on that day that we stand before the Lord, we don't stand in our own merit. We stand in the merit of the perfect Son of God. You don't approach the Lord on Judgment Day and say, God, I was a good person. God, I did good things. God, I, I, I served in this way. You don't do that. You stand before a holy God and say, I'm good because of Jesus. I'm, I'm good because of Jesus' goodness. I'm good because of who Jesus is and what He has declared over me. I stand not in my own merit, but in the merit of the Son of God because this incredible gift has been offered to us, yet people still try to earn it. People still try to be good. They try to make sure their good outweighs their bad when in reality we simply receive the gift. And the gift is only received from God through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not available from other sources because no other source that could offer it, could follow through with it. In order to be justified, we have to meet a perfect standard of righteousness, and the only perfect standard of righteousness is the Lord God Almighty. In our best attempts to attain righteousness, the prophet Isaiah says, our very best efforts at righteousness are nothing but filthy rags. And the only way to have that filthiness dealt with, to have our sins atoned for, to have our legal status changed, through Jesus. God requires righteousness. And the only righteousness that works is the righteousness that God gives. Theologians call this imputed righteousness, meaning that it is credited to us. It's not earned by us. Martin Luther called it a foreign righteousness because it sure didn't come from us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Well, here's a gift offered to us. How do, we, how do we receive it? Well, we're told here that we have to receive this gift through faith. On two times in this passage, Paul emphasizes that, both in verse 22 and verse 25. Look at verse 25. Talking about Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Faith is the mechanism by which we obtain this blessing of justification. And it comes down to a simple question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? If, if you recall several weeks ago, we talked about the, the Passover lamb. The first Passover, there was a, a very real demonstration of faith. God told the Israelites, he said, he said that there was going to be a destroyer, a death angel that was going to come in the middle of the night, and he was going to judge the nation of Egypt by taking the firstborn of every household. Now, we recall Israel was not innocent. They were guilty of sin just like the Egyptians were, and so the Israelites had to participate in this sacrifice. The only way to prevent the, the, the destroyer from taking the firstborn was for those Israelites to trust God, to go and slaughter the lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts of the home. And by faith, the Israelites did so, and they were spared. They trusted that the lamb was able to give them the cover that they needed. We understand that God is holy, and he has every right to judge sin. However, Paul uses a big word here, propitiation, and propitiation is that which satisfies the wrath of God. So if you believe that we're all sinners, which is not hard to believe, 
You believe God is holy, which also is not difficult to believe. Then you have to conclude that we've got a big problem. God has every right to be angry with us and to judge us according to his perfect standard. But there is an offer that's extended to us that will allow God's wrath to pass over us. Just like the Israelites believed that the Lamb would satisfy God's wrath, so we recognize today that the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, has satisfied God's wrath against sin by his death on the cross. By declaring us righteous, he has served as the propitiation for our sin. So we are justified by God's grace, and we receive it through faith. And that means that the legal demands against us are perfectly satisfied. Look at verse 26. If you're an underliner, most people have got Romans 3.23 underlined. I would encourage you to underline Romans 3.26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he, talking about God, he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That he might both be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Here's the thing, God is just. God is just in the sense that punishment for sin must be doled out. It would be unjust for God to simply sweep sin under the rug and pretend that it never happened. That's unjust. We, we understand this inherently. When we see crime, we want to make sure that the criminal meets justice. None of us want crime to go unpunished. We've seen this in recent days. Many people have been rightfully upset at the way things transpired in the shooting of the young man down in South Georgia. Now, I don't want to go down the pathway today of litigating a criminal trial without the constitutionally guaranteed right of a trial by jury. The media and our public discussion is not the place for that jury. However, we all want justice in these situations. We're not at all happy with the notion that this would just be swept under the rug and never tended to and never dealt with. We're not happy with the idea that 70-plus that days could go on before any traction was taken as far as investigation goes. We wouldn't be happy if this were simply swept under the rug. We would all rightly say that this is unjust. If God just swept our trespasses under the rug, it would malign God's own character as being unjust. And so a penalty had to be paid, and God chose to allow his own son to stand in the gap for that penalty. And so God was just in that he perfectly satisfied the wages of sin. But at the same time he is just, he is also the justifier because God is the one who makes the declaration. God is the one who has boldly declared that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is both just and the justifier. Why does all this matter? This is good to know, but how does it affect my day-to-day? If you're a Christian today, 
then the doctrine of justification matters to you in the sense that you have been set free from the legalistic demands of the law. That doesn't mean that you now have the liberty to carouse around in lives of rebellion and sin. In fact, if we continue in gross, unrepentant sin, then we should probably give careful consideration to whether or not we've actually been born again or not. Instead of now being obedient in an attempt to, to somehow earn that which is unearnable, we now offer our obedience as, a, as an act of thanksgiving, as an act of, of worship to a holy God. We offer our bodies, our lives as living sacrifices because of what we have been, what we've been given, the gift we've been given. And now obedience to Christ should come for us as a joy because we are freed from any sense that we're serving Christ to improve, improve our standing. I don't get to serve Jesus because it makes me look better before God. I get to serve Jesus because he's justified me. I can't make myself any better than Jesus has already made me because he has given me his perfect righteousness. My righteousness will never measure up. His righteousness is perfect in every way. That's freeing. That's freeing to serve Him, to worship Him, to love Him. Because I'm not trying to earn anything. It's been granted to me freely. Listen, if you're in Christ, you are as justified today as you ever will be. And if you are truly in Christ, the case against you has been dismissed and you won't be tried for it again. And justification is the gateway to the thing we struggle with most, and that's sanctification. Justification happens in an instant. instant. Just like the judge hits the gavel to the stand, justification happens by an act of a holy God. Sanctification, that happens over a lifetime. Justification is the act by which God credits us the righteousness of Jesus. Sanctification, well, that's the process by which we learn to live in the righteousness we've received. Throughout this series, I've sought to make the gospel as clear as possible so that those who are watching and listening are confronted with that very real truth. And the truth for you today, if you're not in Christ, you stand condemned in your sin. If you were to try to stand before a holy God today, you would wither away because of the sin and unrighteousness in your life. But you don't have to. In a moment, by faith, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be justified. Charges dismissed. Case closed. Stand in the righteousness of Jesus. It's a gift that's extended to you today. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter whether you're watching this on a phone or a screen. Doesn't matter. A gift has been offered to you. If you'll but take it and receive it by faith. Just like those Israelites, by faith, had to cover that, that door with blood. There was no guarantee that was going to work. The only guarantee they had was that God said so. I want to tell you today, the guarantee you've got here is that God says so. God says so. 
If you'll by faith trust in the shed blood of Jesus to cover your sins, if you'll by faith trust in Jesus' death on the cross as your substitute, if you will by faith trust that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'd be saved. You'd be justified. You could be declared righteous by the only one who's able to make you righteous, the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for the justification that is given to us by Jesus. I pray, Lord, for those listening, that they will be confronted with that truth today, and if they're not in Christ, that they will turn to you. God, I pray that those who are in Christ today, that we will rejoice and celebrate in the good news of what we've been given, and that we will walk in the righteousness of Jesus that we will delight in serving him. We will delight in loving him. We will delight in worshiping him because of this incredible gift that we've received. Thank you, Father, for the righteousness of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.